Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Again, we, we are thankful to have you here with us. Um, if I haven't met you yet this morning, my name is James and I'm the pastor here at Renaissance. So we're excited and grateful to jump into God's word this morning. And again, we are so thankful for this, this place. Um, if you're not a regular with us, um, we, have to, we had to be out of our usual meeting spot for July and August. And so uh, we're grateful for Share the Warmth and for uh, being willing to, to, um, to rent to us and provide a space for us. So we're so grateful for that. And again, we're all thankful that it's nice and cool. So um, this morning, we are um, starting a new series, and it's called Follow Jesus. And this series is from the book of Mark. Um, the book of Mark is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are four accounts or tellings of the birth and life and ministry and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, for the next um, while, for, throughout the summer and into the fall, we're going to be going through um, the book of Mark. And so uh, have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought to this to yourself? Okay, I think we probably all have. I have, right? Okay, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But what does it mean to follow him? What, how does it impact my daily life? It's easy to believe that and say, yeah, I believe in that, but how does it impact day in and day out? What does it mean, like really, really practically, what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? Because it's not like he's walking, literally like physically walking in front of us and we just follow him around, okay? But that idea of following Jesus. So our hope as we go through this series is that we will see how to follow, how to follow Jesus, right? Why to follow Jesus and what happens when we do. So we want, to, we want to get a big picture of that and see. And so today is kind of an introduction to that as we look at Mark chapter 1 this morning. And so today you may be here and you're, you may be a Christian. You, maybe you have been following Jesus for a long time. And maybe, but maybe you're here today and you're just curious. You're not sure where you stand on all this. You have some sort of belief in God or religious belief, but you're not quite sure about following Jesus. You're not quite sure what that would mean to say, have I like surrendered my life to Jesus? You may be here this morning and maybe someone just drug you here and you're like, I don't know why I'm here, right? Um, and, and that's okay, but we want to say welcome. We want you to, to be here. But either way, whatever, wherever you're kind of coming from this morning, I want to challenge you this morning to consider who Jesus is, what his message was, and what it would mean to take your next step in following him. Because that can look like a lot of different things, to take a, your next step to follow Jesus. So as we go through this whole series, here's some things that we want to see happening in our lives when we go through it. First of all, we want to see increased Bible engagement. What do I mean? We just want to see us as a church reading God's Word in Scripture, studying it, learning it, seeing what God says. So one of the things that we've done to help with that is we, um, as a church, we purchased these, these books. They're, they're just the Gospel of Mark, um, taken from the Bible, but just the, the Gospel of Mark. If you're a Renaissance, we would love to give you one of these. If you want to 
give $5 to help offset the cost, you can do that. If you don't want to, they're also free. So if you need one, there's some on the back table. You could literally get one right now. I could, someone could bring a few. So if anybody wants one of these, raise your hand. We'll give it to you. And, um, but this is the Gospel of Mark that you can take home. You can read. You can bring with you to the church. I encourage you to do that. There's blank space on every page where you can write down the things that God is teaching you. You can write down the questions you can have. You can write down notes from the sermon if you'd like. Um, but that is a way that you can continue to be engaged in God's Word. Because the reality is, reading and knowing the Bible is the primary way that you and I can know God. It is the primary way that we understand who God is, who we are, and what it means to follow Him. And if you, if you kind of look at the Bible sometimes, you're like, man, I just don't know where to start. That's fair. I understand that. We, um, we also want to help with that. And so also on the table in the back, there's kind of this reading guide that shows like how you can read through the book of Mark along with us as we go through the series. And over here, there's just some, some questions to ask as you read to help process what God is teaching, what God is saying. So if you'd like one of those, grab one of those. But it's just a way that we can engage in God's word. Getting alone with God's Word and getting with other people around the Bible, that's how we grow spiritually. And I would say that without God's Word in our lives, we probably won't grow spiritually. We won't grow spiritually without God's Word in our lives impacting us and us obeying God's Word. So we want to see increased Bible engagement. Secondly, we want this series, this is kind of an intro to the whole series, so track with me. Everybody awake? Okay, if you need coffee, get some, right? Um, right? Don't fall asleep on me. It's okay. Um, but we want this series to help engage us as a church, to help engage us on mission. That we would follow Jesus, okay? Because to follow Jesus is to be on mission. So we want this series to prompt us to say, how can we be on mission? In practical ways, right? How can we pray for the people in our lives, pray for people that we know who are far from God? Friends, family members, coworkers, I challenged you last week to write those names down in your phone to think about who can I pray for who can I be seeking to love and to serve? Who can I serve? Practical things, right? Uh, Dylan and Autumn, when they moved here in February, pretty soon after they moved here, they said, hey, we want to meet our neighbors. They made a bunch of cookies, and they met neighbors, right? We can do those kinds of things, and we love that. These are practical ways that we can engage on mission, right? That just to serve and love people. And we can tell people how Jesus has changed our lives. So hopefully, as we go through the book of Mark, it will engage us on mission. It will engage us in what God is doing. Um, next, we want to see that this series will help us grow in discipleship. We define discipleship as following Jesus while equipping one another to do the same thing. So discipleship is following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And as we go through this series, we want to become more like Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to help each other in the church do the same thing. And so throughout the week, we have groups, throughout the weeks, we have groups that meet for discipleship. And the question is, how can you take your next step? How can you say, you know what? I may not know everything, but here's the thing in front of me right now that I need to take a step. I need to obey. I need to trust God. This is discipleship, trusting and following Jesus. And then next, we want this series to show us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, offers hope. It's not this, some distant idea. It's not some, like, just Bible thing that happened a long time ago. The message of Jesus and following Jesus offers hope in our everyday lives. We'll see the life of Jesus. 
the love and the compassion of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. We'll see that he loved people and offered hope to people. And so today, wherever you're coming from, whatever your background is, Jesus offers hope to you and I today. Hope in our lives that are sometimes difficult. Jesus offers hope here and now, today. And we'll see the hope that Jesus offers as we go through. And our main thought for today is this, that Jesus is the Son of God, and he invites us into the kingdom of God by following him. And we'll see that multiple times throughout this morning. All right? Look at someone next to you and ask them if they're ready to go. You good? Ready to go? You awake? Okay, let's continue. So before we, we're going to read... Okay, come back, come back, I'm teasing. Uh, so we're going to read Mark chapter 1, um, and it's actually quite long, but we're going to read the whole thing because I want us to have the context, I want us to have the story of what's happening here. But we're going to see, here's some major things, yes, if anyone needs one of the Gospel of Marks, they are right here in the middle. Raise your hand if you'd like one. They really are free, I, I'm not going to keep harping on like the $5, but take one if you need one of those, okay? Um, so, so here's some major themes from the life of Jesus that we'll see all in, contained in Mark chapter 1. We'll see Jesus as fully God and fully man. We'll see the message of Jesus, what he came to say. We'll see the miracles of Jesus, the things that he came to do. This book, the book of Mark was written by a guy named Mark, okay, to reassure and to strengthen a struggling church, the early church that was facing all kinds of difficulties. This book was written to strengthen them, to reassure them, to remind them of the, the, the divinity of God, the humanity of Jesus, and to remind them of the message of Jesus. So as we read this, we won't get to everything. There are, there are parts this morning that we won't, uh, that just won't be part of the sermon, but that's why you get to read it and you get to process through it. In our community groups this week, we'll have discussions based on this chapter, and so we get to think about it in other ways. All right, so let's read this together. This will be on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. Um, and, and as we read, I know it's long, let's do your best, do your best to engage your mind into saying, okay, what if I was standing in the middle of this stuff? What's it look like? What's it sound like? What is happening around us in this story? So let's read together. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested... 
Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. All right. You guys awake? You with me? I couldn't look up and look at you because I was reading. So, uh, But there's a lot happening here, obviously. Like I said, we won't touch on everything in this. And so this is why you can take time and read it and think about it and ask questions about it on your own. But the two main things we want to see this morning as we go through this, we want to see this, the identity of Jesus and the message of Jesus. We're going to look at these two things that I think are the, the foundations of this chapter. So beginning with the identity of Jesus, it's this question, who is Jesus? This is an important question. Because all throughout history, Jesus has been viewed in many different ways. He's been seen as like, oh, he was a very good teacher with a lot of wise things to say. He was very loving. Oh, he was just a Jewish, like, historical figure. Oh, he was this, like, soft-spoken, like, hippie-type guy who had long hair and wore sandals and, like, that kind of thing. Like, many people have this view of Jesus in that way. Some people would say, no, he didn't exist at all. It wasn't real, right? Some people would just say, like, oh, yeah, Jesus. I think of, like, Christmas, and I think of, like, baby Jesus, right? That's their view. Okay, baby Jesus, right? There's a lot of different ways that people perceive and view who Jesus is, but it's an important question. Who is 
Jesus. And it's important to wrestle with this and to have a solid understanding of who Jesus really is. So I think Mark chapter 1 addresses this and tackles this question and asks, who is Jesus? So first of all, what we see first in the book of Mark, right from the very beginning, we see the divinity of Jesus or the deity of Jesus or the fact that Jesus was fully God. In 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 verse 1, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like, in the first sentence, he says, this is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And then it goes down in verse 11 again, when Jesus is baptized and he comes up and the the dove descends and the, the voice from heaven says, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So in those first 11 verses, we see Jesus and the deity, the, the, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And there's no question about this claim from the beginning. And for Mark to say this, he's equating Jesus with God. The Jewish people knew that the Son of God was coming, the Messiah, the promised one was coming. And Mark is saying, he's here. This is who it is. This is the Messiah. This is God who has come in the flesh. It's easy for us to look at this and kind of gloss over this. Like, yeah, Jesus, Son of God, good. But it wouldn't have been easy for this original crowd who read this. Mark wrote the book, this gospel. He wrote this book while he was in the city of Rome. And he wrote it to an audience that was not Jewish. So think about this. He's in Rome. He writes it to people who are not a Jewish audience. They don't have a lot of this background. And at the time, the Greco-Roman world bestowed the title of Son of God on Caesar. And so like, it's like a punch in the face from Mark to say, no, Caesar is not the Son of God. It's Jesus. And from the very beginning, Mark says, no, this is the Son of God. So he's declaring Jesus, not Caesar, as the Son of God. So for Mark, from the very beginning, to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God, this was directly in the face of the Roman emperors and the Roman system of leadership. The Roman emperors were worshipped. They had temples set up to themselves. They were perceived as gods. They were perceived as divine. And Mark says, no, this is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And it was a bold statement. It was opposed to the people around them. It was the opposite of what everybody thought. It was opposed to the culture around them, that Jesus is greater than Caesar. And I don't think it's a whole lot different for us even now. For us as individuals or as a church to say Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that deserves our attention. Jesus is the one that deserves our focus and everything in life. That is opposite of the world around us. But we stand firm to say no. We declare Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one who has come into the world to give us hope. We look at other parts of this chapter also and we see the deity of Jesus. We see that Jesus is the Son of God in other ways too. This chapter addresses the authority of Jesus. In verses 22 and 27, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. And then they ask questions. They're saying, what is this? In verse 27, a new teaching with authority. So Jesus teaches with authority. He teaches with clarity. Why? Because he is the Son of God. He understands God's plan. He understands the scriptures and teaches them with authority. We see the authority of Jesus over evil. Multiple times in this chapter, we see Jesus casting out demons. What does this mean? Jesus is more powerful than the enemy. Jesus has victory, has authority over darkness. Jesus conquers the enemy. 
We see he has authority over sickness. Multiple times in this chapter, Jesus heals people. And he healed so many people. There were whole towns coming to him to be healed. That Jesus had authority even over physical sickness. And in these things, we see the authority of Jesus. We see the deity of Jesus. That he is fully God. Next, we see in this, in this chapter today, we see the humanity of Jesus. And it's important to see both of these. Verses 12 and 13. So Jesus comes, and there's this guy named John the Baptist who God had sent to prepare the way for Jesus, right? John the Baptist is out in the desert. He's out in the wilderness, and people are coming, and he's baptizing them. And he's saying, hey, you need to turn away from your sins. You need to focus on God because the kingdom of God is coming. And he's baptizing people as they, as they confess their sins. And Jesus comes, and Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes out, and in verse 12 it says, The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. That means the Spirit led him into the wilderness, where 40 days Jesus was tempted by Satan, by the enemy. We see the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was fully God, yet he was also fully human. In verse 35, Jesus is, um, he's healing, he's preaching, he's doing all these things. And then verse 35 says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And we see in Jesus the humanity, that Jesus had to recharge his batteries, that he was tired. And he goes out and he spends time alone with his Father, with God. Jesus faced temptations just like you and I do. Jesus had emotions just like you and I He got hungry. He got tired. He needed to be alone. How many of you guys are like, yes, there are many times I just need to be alone, right? Uh, I heard something recently. This guy was, I think I read it on Twitter. I didn't hear it. I read it on Twitter. He's like, all the introverts, all they want to do is drive around in their car and listen to podcasts by themselves. I'm like, hey, that sounds pretty good sometimes, right? So we all need to be alone. So Jesus felt these things just like you and I. He understands, he understood what it means to be human, to be limited. The Bible even says that he willingly stepped out of heaven. He humbled himself and took on human flesh. He willingly took on the limits that we have, right? We can't do everything. We can't be everywhere all at once. Jesus set the example of getting alone to pray. Man, how much more do we need that? If the Son of God needed to get alone to pray and be with God, how much more do we need that, that we are weak and dependent on him? And so while many people may view Jesus in different ways, the Bible claims Jesus as fully God and fully human. And here's the deal. This is a great mystery that we often cannot wrap our minds around, him being fully God and fully human. If he's fully human and fully God, well, then didn't he know everything all the time all at once? Or was he limited sometimes? Or did he always know what was happening? And yet we see this mystery. But what do we see in the mystery? We see the truth and the beauty of the gospel, the good news. Because the divinity and the humanity of Jesus give us a vital understanding of the message of the gospel. If Jesus was not fully God, then he has no power to forgive. And his death on the cross has no power to save if he was not fully God. On the other hand, if Jesus was not fully man, then he has no grasp of humanity. He cannot identify with you and I. But what we see in the gospel is Jesus as the Son of God 
stepping willingly out of heaven and into our reality to live a sinless life and die to pay for our sins, to bring people into relationship with God. This is an amazing thing. Jesus was not just a good example for us to follow. Jesus was not just a good teacher who told us some good things. He is fully God and fully man, stepping out of heaven, living a perfect and holy and sinless life, yet facing the temptations that we face, experiencing life as we experience, so that he could take our place. That we deserve punishment because of our sin, but Jesus was able to take our place. So Jesus is the Son of God, and he invites us into the kingdom of God by following him. The identity of Jesus, so vital. Part two here, number two, the message of Jesus. What did Jesus say? What was he all about? We've looked at his identity, let's look at his message. And really, it's actually pretty clear and very consistent. Verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was the message of Jesus. This is what he came to say. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. What he's doing, he's saying this about himself. It's like he's raising his hand saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Like, I'm here. I brought the kingdom of God. He is coming. He said, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And Jesus preaches a message of good news. And the message is this. He says, the kingdom of God is here. It is not far away. It's not distant. It's literally here in the flesh. Jesus said, I come to bring the kingdom. Jesus is telling us that the fact that he has brought the king, that he, the fact that he has come means that he has brought the kingdom of God near. You and I often function in our day-to-day lives, as if God is distant and far away. But the message of Jesus is that God is close, near, and he's actually pursuing you and I. The kingdom of God is not far. And Jesus, as he came, he said, the kingdom of God is near. This is love. This is the love that God shows us. Love comes near. If I want to tell my wife, Abby, that I love her, I would not send Graham to tell her that. I wouldn't send Dylan. I wouldn't send any of you, right? I wouldn't call an Uber driver and say, hey, here's my address. Can you go to my house? Just knock on the door. My wife will answer. Tell her that James says he loves her, right? That would be really weird, right? If I want to tell my wife that I love her, I go to her myself and I say, hey, Abby, I love you, right? This is what Jesus has done. He is God in the flesh, who came himself to earth to bring the kingdom of God near to us. And as we go through the book of Mark, we'll see this idea of the kingdom of God over and over and over. And the kingdom of God is wherever it is that God is worshipped and followed and loved and adored. In any heart, in any person, in any life where Jesus is lifted up and God is worshipped and followed and adored. This is amazing, right? To think Jesus, he's come near But it still doesn't make sense on one level because you and I have a problem, and the problem is what the Bible calls sin. Our sin should should cause the kingdom of God to be distant from us. That's what should happen, right? 
that Jesus should have said, God could have said, those people are rebellious, they've gone their own way, they're doing their own thing, they're sinful, so they're going to stay over there, we're going to stay over here. This is not what God has done because he has come near to us. Our sin should cause the kingdom to be distant, and it should cause us, you and I, to be without hope. It should cause us to be in a place where we say, we can't do anything, we are hopeless. But what was part two of the message of Jesus? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but then what's he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is how you and I can be near, can be in the kingdom. Repentance is acknowledging and turning away from our sin, right? There's a difference between confession and repentance. If, um, if I'm driving in my car and I realize oh, I'm going the wrong way, and I say, yep, I'm going the wrong way. That's confession. I'm acknowledging I'm going the wrong way. Repentance is then literally turning my car around and going the other way. And so when Jesus says repent and believe, he is calling people to turn away from our sin, to turn away from the way that we're living our life, living for our own desires, living for whatever makes us happy, living for whatever feels good in the moment, to turn away from that and say, I'm turning my life to God. I'm handing my life to him. And this is actually good news because we can think of repentance. I don't know if you've ever seen people with a big sign that says repent and they're like yelling at people. That's a bad idea of repentance because repentance is the grace of God that he says, just turn around and come to me. Because how deep is this grace of God? That he has made a way for you and I to turn away from the junk of our lives and the mess and the sin of our lives. He says, hey, you can turn away from that. You can give that up because it's really not good for you anyway. And you can turn to me. This is the grace of God that he invites us to repent, to turn away from our sin. And then Jesus says, repent and believe. Believe in what? In Jesus as the Son of God. Putting our faith and our belief in the fact that Jesus has come to take our sin upon himself. Belief in the fact that Jesus is the only way to be in the kingdom of God. There is no other way. And so repent is turning away from our sins, and belief is to say, Jesus, you are the Son of God. There is no other way on earth that I can get to God. There is nothing else that I can do. I can't be good enough. There's no other system of belief. There's no other process of me earning it in any way. Jesus, you are the only way. And so belief is putting our life in that. It's as if we step off the cliff to say, I am putting my full faith in Jesus, believing that he is the way. Repent and believe. This was the message of Jesus, that the kingdom is close. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God, and he invites us into the kingdom by following him. We've seen the identity of Jesus. We've seen the message of Jesus. So what do we do with all of this now? What does the book of Mark demand of us? What does this chapter demand of us? Well, first of all, the book of Mark and this chapter, it demands of us, of us as individuals, that we wrestle with this question of who Jesus is and whether or not we will believe in who he is. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, and if his message is repent and believe and put your faith in me for your sins to be forgiven, we can't just do nothing with that. We either accept it or reject it. And as individuals, we have to wrestle with that. 
Is Jesus who he said he is? Is Jesus the only way that my sins can be forgiven? You can't be neutral. You have to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? Because this will shape every aspect of our life. It will determine whether or not we understand what the Bible refers to as the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You have to wrestle with this. Is Jesus really God? Did he really come and live a sinless life? Does he really identify with our lives and know what it's like to be human and yet live a sinless and perfect life? Who is Jesus? And this chapter forces and, and Mark's original, who, the people he wrote this to originally would have had to wrestle with this and to say, is Caesar the son of God or is Jesus the son of God? In our lives, we have to wrestle and say, do I give my affection, my worship, my life to Jesus? Or do I give it to other stuff? Or do I just try to find my own way? We have to wrestle with this question of who Jesus is. And if we look at Jesus being fully God and fully man, and if we say no, that's not true. If we wrestle with this and we say no, then what you have to do is you have to construct some other way to make sense of the world. You have to construct some other way to deal with the issue of sin and brokenness in our lives. And here's what I mean. If you say, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that Jesus was fully God. I don't believe he's the only way to God. If that's your belief system, you have to wrestle with and construct some other way to say, I have a problem in my life and it's called sin and it expresses itself in brokenness. It's, it expresses itself in me trying to find satisfaction and happiness in all kinds of things. And so we have to construct some way. And so you may say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be a really good person. I'm going to do my best. I think I'm good enough. I'm better than him. I'm better than them. I'm not like them, so I'm okay. I'm pretty good. And so we construct this scenario in our lives, okay, I think I'm good enough. But it still doesn't take away the issue of sin. If the answer to the question of Jesus, if, if, we have to, if we wrestle with who is Jesus and we say, I don't believe all that. I don't believe he's the son of God. I don't believe he's the only way. It forces you to construct some other way. And I will tell you that every other way that we construct is shaky, is a shaky foundation that won't stand, that won't last. But if you answer yes, Jesus is who he says he is, then there is endless hope because we have a Savior, Jesus, who has come to bring us into the kingdom of God. If we answer yes to these questions, and as a side note, it doesn't really matter what we answer. Jesus is who he says he is, right? If we believe the Bible to be true, and we do, so we don't really get the power to be like, yeah, no, yes. Now, we have to wrestle with it, but it doesn't change the fact of who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the Son of God. And if it's true, and we believe it is, then it offers endless hope to our lives because we have a God who loves us. We have a God who has come near, who identifies with us, and has made a way that we can come to know him. And it's not based on our own goodness. It's based on us putting our faith and belief in him. So, what does this book what does Mark demand of us? That we have to wrestle with that question. Who is Jesus? 
Is he the Son of God? Is he, is he who he says he is? Secondly, in the book of Mark, and today in our passage, we have to wrestle with the call of Jesus and whether or not you and I will follow him. So this series is called Follow Jesus. This is part of the reason here. That Jesus is inviting people to follow him. In verses 17 and 18, here's what it says. Jesus, he's, he's, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they're fishing. They're, they're fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It says he went on a little further. He sees two other guys, James and John, and he calls them to follow him. He says immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So this is kind of crazy to me because at this point, Jesus, we don't, haven't seen that he's like done anything miraculous yet. Jesus has been in the wilderness being tempted. He comes back, and he's walking along the sea, and he's like, hey, follow me. And these guys follow him. Apparently, they have seen something in Jesus. They say, we're going to follow him. We don't know why yet. We don't know everything yet. But we're going to follow him. You and I have to wrestle with this. Will we follow Jesus? Will we leave behind all else to follow him? These guys left behind their careers. They left behind their income. They left behind their fathers. They left behind all of these things. They literally, from what scripture shows us, they just dropped it all and followed him. Like, literally, they followed behind Jesus. But metaphorically, they said, okay, we want, to, we want to learn from you. We want to be with you. And they left everything to follow Jesus. Will we leave all else behind to follow Jesus? Will you say yes? Will you say yes to God? Essentially, that's what they do. Jesus says, follow me. They say, yes. And we can complicate Christianity sometimes. We can complicate all this stuff when what God is looking for is hearts that will say yes. Hearts that will obey and say, I don't know everything, but I'm going to say yes to what I see from God's word. I'm going to say yes to who Jesus is, and I'm going to follow him. And he didn't just call them and say, follow me. What did he tell them? He said, guys, come with me, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? So Jesus is like saying, hey, I'm going to change your little identity here. You're a fisherman. You catch fish. Follow me. You have a bigger and more important calling now. Now, fishing is great. And if you like fishing, fishing is a great thing to do, right? It's relaxing, all that. But Jesus says, I want you to leave behind everything you know because I'm giving you a new task. I'm giving you a new calling. And here, listen, this is so vital to our lives. To follow Jesus is to be on mission. They're not separate. They're not two different things. It's not that we like, okay, I'll follow Jesus, and then maybe someday I'll like live on mission. To follow Jesus, to truly follow him, is to live on mission. Is to say, Jesus, would you use me to help other people know who you are? And that's what he's telling them. I'll make you fishers of men. I'm giving you a greater purpose than just catching fish. I'm giving you a purpose of telling and sharing and showing the message of who Jesus is to the world around us. And you and I have to recognize that to follow Jesus is to be on mission. That you and I, we proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world around us. We proclaim the same message that Jesus did. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
in the gospel. This is a message of hope where we say God has come near and there's a way that you can be taken out of your sin and forgiven and, and your guilt and your shame removed and come into the kingdom of God. This is the message that we speak and that we share. And we proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God and that he invites us into the kingdom of God. He invites us close to him when we follow him, when we say yes to him, we put our faith in him. As we close this morning, the very end of this chapter, verses 40 through 42, there's this story of a man who has leprosy. He's a leper, not a leopard. I heard a story recently of a guy who said, like, I grew up in church and the whole time I thought Jesus was, like, removing spots from leopards. Like the cats, you know, like jungle cats. No, it's a leper. Like this man had leprosy, a skin disease, right? And in the story, Jesus he, Jesus is walking along, teaching people, doing his thing. In verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. He's, what he's saying is, if you want to, you can make me clean. He's desperate. If you have leprosy, even if you had it now, you would be desperate. You would be an outcast. But so much more then in that time. They, would, they were put outside of the city. They had different places to live. They were outcasts. They were desperate. They were lonely. They had no hope and no future. They, could no, they couldn't earn income. They were dependent on other people to give to them, to take care of them. And they basically were just waiting to die as a leper. They had no hope, no future. And this man is desperate. And he comes to Jesus He's imploring, means he's crying out, he's asking for help. He kneels down before Jesus and he just simply, he doesn't demand. He doesn't say, Jesus, you're healing everybody else, heal me. He says, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. That right there is faith. That's a picture of faith that we see all through the Bible. And in your life, you might be in that kind of a mindset today. You might be in that spot where you're desperate, you're lonely, you don't know what the future holds, you don't know where your hope is, you don't know what's next, you don't know what to do. And this man comes crying out to Jesus. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. When we read in the Bible, when we see the truth of who Jesus is in the gospel, it's this. We have to recognize that our sin, our rebellion, has made us unclean. We're separated from God. And like this leper, we're unclean. We're cast out. We have a problem with sin. We're separated from God. But Jesus has come into the world. That when we turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. What does Jesus answer to this man? He simply says, I will. Meaning, I want to. Be clean. And he heals the man. When we recognize our sin and our brokenness, and we turn to Jesus in faith saying, I have no other way, but if you want to, Jesus, you can make me clean. And he immediately turns to you and I and he says, I want to. I want to forgive your guilt. I want to remove your shame. I want to remove your sin. I want to bring you into relationship with God. And Jesus says, I want you to see that I am the best thing for you. Jesus says, I will. 
I want to be clean. That he is ready and willing to forgive and to make us new and to bring us into the kingdom of God. This is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to God, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we have to wrestle with this. And it's good news because it's not something we have to earn. We don't have to say, okay, if I can get my life together, then I'll turn to Jesus. No. This leprous man had nowhere else to turn. He was desperate. And God loves desperate people. God loves desperate people who say, I can't. I can't do it. But Jesus, if you want to, I know you can. This is the faith that God is looking for. It's not faith that's some big and grand thing. It's faith that just says, I have nowhere else to turn, and Jesus, I need you. And that's what God is looking for, for people to turn to him, to put their faith in him. That's what God's looking for in our everyday lives as we go through our day to say, you know what? It's not on me to figure everything out. Jesus, I need you. I need you to lead me, to guide me, to help me follow you, that Jesus is our great and living hope. We're going to sing this morning and have time to kind of respond and think through who Jesus is and what he has done. This morning, I want you to wrestle with this question. Ask yourself, how do I need to respond? What are the steps? What's the step I need to take? Maybe today you need to say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to put my faith in him. I need to make that choice and respond to God and say, there is no other way that I'm going to fix my life. I need to become a Christian. I need to put my faith in Jesus. I want to follow him for the first time. If that's you this morning, we would love to talk with you. After, when we're finished singing, we're done with the service, come and talk to me. I'm going to have um, someone standing at the back. I don't know if, Stephen, you can stand back there at the table. Um, I don't know if Dylan or anyone else is here, um, any of our, our regulars. Stand at the back. If you want to pray with someone, if you need to put your faith in Jesus, even while we're singing, I invite you to walk straight to the back. No one's going to call you out. If you just want to pray with someone, if you need to say, I'm desperate and I need Jesus, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to take your next step. Maybe you need to say, I need to grow. I want discipleship. I need to follow Jesus. If you have questions about that, we have talked to one of us at the table at the end and say, how can I get involved in learning and growing and discipleship? Maybe you need to say, I need to realize that if I'm following Jesus, that that's a call to be on mission. I need to be, we need to be fishers of men. And maybe you need to take that step of obedience to say, God, would you help me to speak about Jesus, to share with people what Jesus has done in my heart? Maybe you're facing difficult situations, and whatever it is, maybe today your response is simply to say, I can't fix it. I can't handle it on my own, but Jesus, I put my faith in you. And reminding ourselves that what God is looking for is our desperation, our neediness, our trust in him. So the question this morning is, will you say yes to Jesus? And whatever he's calling you to do, and whatever response it is, will you say yes?